Good morning, Steve. Anybody joining in with us at home, we welcome you. Good morning. If you are ready to bless the Lord and come into his presence, I invite you to stand with us. One of my favorite calls to worship, I've said it before, but I'm going to quote it again. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. And then verse 3 goes on to say, I let us magnify the Lord and exalt his name together. So we're kicking it off this morning. We are going to join our spirits, join our voices in simply blessing God with praise this morning. So I invite you to join us. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name.
the Creator God is standing right in front of you, and you are going to worship Him. And church, that's exactly what's happening because where two or more are gathered in His name, He is here with us. And whether or not we feel that or whether or not we get that worship high, the Lord is here and He wants us to worship Him. Worship Him for who He is, not for what we can get from Him. So let's just proclaim Him as holy as we lift up His name and bless Him with an incense of praise together this morning. Join us.
celebrate who you are, what you have done as the risen lamb. We thank you so much that we have an opportunity just to come into your presence and bless your name as a congregation, as a church this morning. Receive our praises as beautiful, sweet incense aroma to you, Father, this morning. We pray, ask, and ask you dedicate this rest of this service in your name to you. Open our hearts to hear what you have for us. And all God's children this morning say, Amen. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, everybody. We're so glad you are here. Um, as some of you may have noticed, this morning is Communion Sunday. Um, so there is juice and crackers um, at each of your seats. Um, and uh, Steve will later instruct us how to use those. Um, we're so glad you're here. We're glad that you can join us online if you're joining us from home this morning. Um, and we also just wanted to reiterate something. If you guys maybe are new or maybe it's been a while since um, you've connected with us, um, we have many ways that you can reach out and um, plug in with us. Um, we have our website, which all of our information, anything that's coming up, everything's there. Um, and that's www.nview.org. Um, we also have social media on Facebook. Um, we have our email, front desk at nview.org you can reach out to. And we also have a handy dandy phone number in case people still make calls. Um, you can call us uh, to say hi and connect with us as well. Um, so we actually have a big announcement. Um, we are going to be having kids and youth back in business, which is super exciting. Um, I have missed it dearly, but I've really appreciated um, the time that we've had to kind of make plans and make sure everything um, will go smoothly and safely um, for when we reopen kids and youth. So that is coming the last Sunday in September, so September 27th. Um, and if you're looking for more information on that, um, we're still kind of fleshing out the details, but more information will be available soon. Um, and Rob, Zeb, and I um, were the kids and youth directors. We just wanted to um, reiterate that if you would like to stay updated on the latest updates or get more information, um, you can uh, check us out on social media, our pages, or also on our newsletters that we send out um, via email. And you can find how to sign up for those or get connected with those um, also on our website at www.nview.org. <laughs> All right, well, if you have kids joining with us this morning, um, they can actually plug into our virtual kids um, service online. Um, you just head to our website. You just need an uh, electronic device like an iPad or a phone and some headphones, and they can go ahead and watch those services from there while main service is going on. And then we made this announcement um, last Sunday, but we know that school is coming up and it's starting, I think, this week for a lot of people. Maybe some started a little bit earlier, um, but we know school looks a lot different this year. Uh, and we wanted to offer an opportunity for kids to uh, be able to work on schoolwork, get um, homework done, maybe uh, at a different location than at home. Because we know a lot of things have been happening at home recently, which is great, uh, but sometimes too much of a good thing <laughs> isn't a good thing. So um, we are going to be starting a, a study hall thing here at church. Um, parents can come drop their kids off and kids will be able to have a space to work. Um, and we'll also have some uh, activities for them to do once they are done working before their parents come pick them up. So there's more information about that on the website. Um, we're super excited about this. Uh, give kids an opportunity to work not only on schoolwork, but also hang out with other kids um, and get some socialization. So. That is study hall. We'll have more information coming soon as well. Um, and lastly, as always, if you're participating in offering this morning, um, we have multiple ways to do that. You can give online. Um, you can also use our uh, offering boxes that we have in the back, or you can always mail in your offering as well. All right, I'm gonna pray for this morning, so if you wouldn't mind joining with me, thank you. 
Dear Lord, thank you, God, for um, the ability to gather. And thank you, God, too, Lord, that you have really sustained us through this entire season. We praise you and we give you all the glory, Lord. Um, thank you for the reminder through the songs this morning that you are sovereign. And, um, and God, you are nearer than we um, perceive, Lord. We love you. We pray. We give honor and glory to your name this morning. In your name, amen. morning, everybody. I am Shannon. I'm the executive pastor here at Northview, and I get to fill in for Steve this morning, um, who is here but on vacation. And uh, uh, I heard rumor that he's going gold painting this week, uh, reliving some of the days of his youth. And uh, just so you know, he did promise to share any of his finds with all of us, so that's a good thing. Um, I also wanted to mention that uh, the Grehans are here with us this morning. Hi, guys. Um, and uh, I, I know they are moving, and I think this is their last Sunday here. Uh, and the same with Ben and Emily Chan. Emily was up on the worship team this morning. I just want to let you guys know, uh, this is kind of your last chance in person to be able to kind of greet them, say goodbye, love on them before they go. So um, take advantage of that opportunity, please. Um, also, uh, Kayla mentioned communion. Uh, Steve will not be giving instructions for that later on. That will be me. Um, uh, but uh, I'll call for that, that time to get you prepped. Um, but just want to let you know, uh, especially at home, communion's coming later in the service. So um, we are starting a mini-series, a three-week series, uh, where we're calling it uh, We Are Northview. Um, you're here, so... You are Northview. <laughs> um, but I think it's important to, to communicate, to settle on what it is that we're all about at Northview uh, on occasion. Um, we uh, we want to cover our core tenets about makes, what makes our body uh, who we are. Uh, we have a mission statement. Many of you guys may know this or have seen it or passed by it in the lobby. Uh, it says, Northview exists to encourage people to become more like Jesus by celebrating God serving one another, and sharing God's love with our world. Uh, mission statements can oftentimes become a slogan and something that, that we know headwise, but we don't always incorporate into uh, our heart knowledge. Um, our mission is more than just a slogan. It really sets the target for us as a church. Um, it's part of our founding documents um, back when Northview was formed in 98-99, it was put into our Constitution. So this mini-series that we're doing, this three weeks, will look a little bit like this. Uh, week one, we're, we're talking about celebrating God, which is loving God, worshiping God, and listening to God. Uh, next Sunday, uh, Steve will be back talking about serving one another. Uh, that's committing to relationships, being passionate about team, and striving to build people. And then two weeks from now, Steve will talk about sharing Jesus, um, increasing God's kingdom and reputation, and building a reproductive church. So just where you know, so you know where we're going uh, over this mini-series, and then after that, Steve will be uh, launching into the book of Philippians. So today we're taking on that first core value of celebrating God. Uh, again, to reiterate, it's important for us to speak our expectations and refocus on what's most critical and keep the main thing the main thing. And there's a reason that celebration comes first in our mission. We want it to be something we communicate regularly that reminds us of the bullseye of the things that we do together. 
And I want this, this talk today uh, to be an encouragement. Um, we know what worship is. We know what loving God is. Uh, but oftentimes that's head knowledge. We want to be able to encourage you uh, to keep doing the good things that we're doing and to even raise that bar. So as we start out here, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we come before you, um, and we just ask that uh, as I speak, that you would speak through your spirit uh, to everyone here as we meet. Uh, May my words and thoughts and actions bring glory to you. Uh, We want to praise and honor you through the things that we come together for today. Uh, We lift you up um, in your son's name. Amen. All right. Celebration. We all can acknowledge the importance of celebration. Esther talked about God being here, present with us. And I would pose the same question. If the Lord showed up in person, in body, right here with us, how would that change our actions? How would that change how we meet? How would that change how we do what we do? I tend to be, especially as I get older, more reserved, less effusive, less emotive. Um, But when we celebrate somebody, it matters how we celebrate to them, right? So if if God showed up in body, um, and I wonder too, if God showed up in body, uh, what would he be wearing, you think? A suit? Maybe his robes? Um, I actually do know the answer to this one. It's uh, his holy jeans. That, that's for John Harris, wherever he is. Um, what does it look like to the person being celebrated in terms of celebration? And I would say that the person being celebrated or not celebrated is as much, if not more, important than the celebrator. Um, if, if God was standing here with us, would I be overjoyed and would he see that expressed to him Or would I do my usual and stand there with my hands down and, hey, God, how's it going? I I believe our hearts are revealed by how and what we celebrate. If we're talking about celebrating God, what's revealed to him about us and the way we honor and welcome him? Looking at scripture, in all of scripture, God doesn't rely solely on his passive omniscience. We know he knows everything. We know he knows the thoughts in our heads. We know he, he, he knows how we feel. He doesn't rely just on that. Um, I think of Adam and Eve when they're in the garden and they've sinned and they're hiding from God. He knows what happened. And yet he asked them, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? I think of Abraham. He knows Abraham's faith. And yet he still tests him to see what his actions reveal about him. He asked us to put on display for his benefit, for our benefit, and the impact of those around us, how we really feel about him. In light of those things, I recognize how inadequate I am at celebrating, and celebrating him, not necessarily to my satisfaction, but to his satisfaction. I I know that my tendency is me as the object of celebration instead of him. I'd like to share a story this morning um, of uh, my son. A little departure from what we've been talking about for a second. Uh, My second son, 
is Carson Timothy Fallon. Um, he was born in the year 2000. <laughs> it was sometime after Caden and before Colton. That's all I really know. And he had a pretty traumatic birth. Um, and that's a story for another day, but he still bears the marks of that traumatic birth with him. And whether that had something to do with the events that follow, we don't know. But from, from moment one, it was not easy with Carson. He was born at a young age. I do like to say that. That's my joke every time. But um, we began to see a, a kind of a strange pattern with him early on. Um, he wasn't more than a year uh, between his, his first and second birthday uh, that we started to see that he got sick a lot. Um, he would go through these bouts of, of illness, like vomiting, uh, pretty frequently. And as he got a little bit older, uh, that just increased. And he would have these bouts of vomiting where he would go blank and start throwing up. And sometimes it was because he got sick, um, where we could tie it to the flu or something like that. But other times, there wasn't really a rhyme or reason to it. It, it, it. Sometimes it seemed like celebrations actually kicked him into feeling sick. And, and with that, um, we all have, those of you that have kids, we're used to kids getting sick. Um, and I've even heard people, and, and this is the same thing, true, same thing is true for us, that when our kids get sick, it's kind of, kind of nice, actually, because they slow down a little bit, and they're okay with you actually hugging them and stuff. But, but this was excessive. He would start throwing up, and he wouldn't stop, and he would throw up a lot and constantly. I actually brought with me um, a, a log page from this binder that we kept um, for the doctors, and just to kind of be able to say, here's what's happening, and what do we do about this? Um, and and we, we tracked every time he threw up, um, and w what was happening at the time, what the circumstances were. This particular one uh, from, when it was when from, he w from when he was six, and um, there's over 75 uh, entries on this just from the first 48 hours that he was sick. Um, for, for a little kid, that's, something's wrong there. So those, those episodes that he would go through began to grow more lengthy and more serious all the time. Um, and I want to focus on one particular episode that was earlier on. I think he was five at the time. Uh, and we didn't totally have a handle on what was happening with him at this point. Um, but he, he started in his usual way. Oh, I wanted to point something out too. Sorry, this is just an aside about community. Um, at the top of this page, it, it, um, Lisa wrote out the circumstances of him getting sick, and it says this. The school nurse called, uh, letting us know Carson was ill. Abby Mitchells uh, had noticed him on the playground, uh, and it, uh, he was unable to focus and took him to the nurse. Um, Carson spent the day feeling nauseated but alert. Um, I just think that that is really cool, that even at the age of six, um, our brothers and sisters are looking out for each other. That's super cool. Um, but in this particular episode um, that happened a little bit earlier than that log sheet, um, he began a normal way where he started throwing up. And um, we had to be careful because 
dehydration is a really big issue. And for him, anything in his stomach would cause him to throw up again. It wasn't long uh, into the process before he started throwing up blood. And we knew later that, that as his stomach was empty, it would still churn and, and it could tear his stomach lining or tear his esophagus and it would just be blood coming up. Um, if your child starts throwing up blood, it freaks you out. Um, as, and it should. So we, we have no choice. We've got to go to the ER and figure out what's happening here. So we took him to Evergreen Hospital. Um, and, you know, as a parent, you're wondering, you're unsure about what to do. What, what's next? When's this going to stop? How, how do we deal with this? How do we help him be, get better? And the hospital is like this ray of hope. If we get there, they'll know exactly what to do, and it'll all be fine. We got to Evergreen, and they didn't have a lot of experience with his condition. Um, they weren't really sure of how to stop what was going on. They weren't sure about how to treat him. That was scary. We'll come back to the story again. But for the moment, let's go back to celebration. We talked a little bit about the importance of celebration, but what is celebration? I'll give you a couple of things here. Celebration, number one, is rooted in love. I like to define my terms. Um, love is one of those things that we all know, kind of, but we all have really different ways of understanding it and expressing it. So let's, let's talk about love. What is love? Uh, when I was in children's ministry, we came up with a very simple definition to help explain what love was for kids. Uh, selfless concern for the good of another. A pretty simple definition. I think we all get that. In doing some marriage counseling and marriage classes, um, Paul Tripp has a definition that I've really fastened on to uh, and I think is perfect for the situation. He says, Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that doesn't require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Now in marriage, love as an action is placing the other person's needs and even pleasures above my own without strings attached. That's a difficult thing to do. Uh, I recognize that I don't always do that well. But if we apply that same definition to loving God, is it any different? We still want to love as an action. We still want that self-sacrifice for his good that doesn't require reciprocation. But I would differ in that God is deserving of it. It's especially true when he's really deserving. Let's look at what the scripture says about loving God. I think of Moses. Um, uh, Moses led God's people for a long time. And through various circumstances, his leadership was coming to an end. And he knew it. God had told him that. And he sat down and left some parting thoughts to the nation of Israel. And in that kind of thing, you, you know he's putting in the things that he thinks are the most important things and the lasting things that Israel needs to hang on to to carry them through the next phase. 
So when Moses was facing the end and the transfer of his leadership to, to Joshua, what does, he, what does he most want to impart to God's people? He wrote the book of Deuteronomy, and we'll go through some of the passages here. Deuteronomy 6.5, and I would encourage you to go look at these verses and look at the context before and after, but Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Later on in Deuteronomy 10.12, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Right after that in 11.1, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his rules and his commandments always. 13.3, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet talking about a false prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. And then later on in 36, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. You think that loving God is important? And what does Moses' successor Joshua say on the matter? Joshua 23, 11. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Is it different in Jesus' eyes? They address it. You guys know the greatest commandment. and He address, addresses the imperative of our love for God. In Matthew 22, um, he's being questioned by the Pharisees about what's the greatest commandment. And Jesus replies to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. Using this very same phrasing as Deuteronomy. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets, all the things that their culture hung their hat on, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. We're not being asked, or we're being asked not to just love the idea of God or love the philosophy or the theology that emanates from him. We shouldn't just respond emotionally to him. Those things, it says, heart, mind, soul, strength, we're asked to align every part of our being in loving so that our head knowledge matches our heart feelings that matches our faith. So with love in mind, what's the proper approach to God? I find this convicting. God isn't just here to serve us, to make our situations more comfortable, to respond to our cries for help. That's not why he's here. He does do those things, but that's not the purpose. He's created us for relationship. And to do that, we need to grow. And as you guys know, growing can be painful. It can be trying. We need to balance the fear of the God of the universe, the one who created everything, the, the, the knowledge of, uh, and power involved in that. We need to balance that with the intimacy of the one who died personally for me and for the sins that I have had. And I know this is an imperfect example. Uh, for many of us, this carries a lot of different different weight, but the example of father. Um, I, I was, had a healthy respect for my dad because 
He was the source of power in our family. He was the one that disciplined. Um, and there was some danger there if I stepped out of the ba- some of the boundaries. But he's also the one um, that loved me through some really difficult things. God is our father. The proper approach to God has a spirit of submission and repentance. Which really, to use one of Steve's terms, is Surrender that we recognize God's appropriate place in my life. One of the other things I struggle with, we talked about that definition of love. Um, I struggle to love people in my life that I can see and touch and feel and look at face to face. How do I love something that I can't see? And what if I don't feel the love Again, just from my own experience in trying to work through that in a tangible way with a spouse, uh, I I think deeper knowledge and understanding of that person uh, can foster friendship and love. I would encourage you, if that's a struggle, get to know him better. That'll help. It also helps to recognize God's amazing character and qualities and that fuels admiration and love when we dwell on those things. Uh, We just talked through the Psalm series that Steve did. Fantastic series. We looked at God's goodness. We looked at God's holiness. We looked at his amazing forgiveness, his capacity to forgive. We talked about his steadfast love. Those are things that when we recognize those things and dwell on those things, it fuels that admiration and love. Dig into scripture. You look at the names of God. This, this is a, a huge encouragement to me in terms of fostering that love that I want for God. Look at the names of God. Yahweh, Elohim, both different ways of saying God. The Almighty, I Am, the All-Sufficient One, the Lord of Hosts, the Most High God, Everlasting Father, Lord my Banner, Lord my Shepherd, Healer, my righteousness, my sanctifier. The Lord will provide. The Lord is peace, the ancient of days. We can look at those things and read about the places in Scripture where those are are identified and see how God dealt with his people, the ones that he loves. Learn more about his character there. Uh, Back when I was running VBS, now VBX. Um, we did a, a, a worship and praise VBS called God Rocks. Um, sorry, it's a little small, uh, but um, for me particularly, I wanted to pull out things that I recognized about God's character that I could celebrate and that really got me excited about who he is and helped foster that love. So I created that, that logo that you can see there. But with that, Um, God's characteristics of being infinite, unchanging, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, wise, faithful, just, merciful, gracious, loving, glorious. Those are all things that help foster that love in me. I believe that the degree that we believe in those things and let the reality of them shape our actions and lives, it accelerates or inhibits our ability to love God. 
Same as marriage, right? If you're dating somebody, the object is to get, them, get to know them better, and that fosters love, or not. Do those same things with God. So we were talking about my son Carson in the hospital. We'll continue that, that story. So we, we were at Evergreen Hospital, and they were unable to effect a change in his situation and his status because they didn't really understand or know the root problem um, to address. And they decided at Evergreen that the best course of action for us was to be transferred to children's via ambulance. Now, Lisa and I were both there. I'm sure we'd left our kids with one of our friends at the time, but um, that, that doesn't last more than an afternoon. So we had to decide what we were going to do and, and how to split so that we could handle our other three boys um, and still be able to be with Carson. So um, we, we decided on a trade-off thing. She was going to go home and be with the boys, uh, and I was going to be with Carson. And I'll tell you, it's one of those surreal experiences. I think for parents in the room, you live in fear of of what happens if my kid is in dire straits with sickness or illness. Um, and yet at the same time, we also have that tendency to think, well, this won't happen to us. We hear about it happen to other people. And so being in that, the ambulance with him is something that, that while I feared it, I never thought that I would actually be in that place where you're sitting there with, uh, I don't know what they are, paramedics or... Um, uh, you know, people in the transport business, whatever it was, as they're tending to Carson and just thinking, man, this isn't, this isn't real. Um, you know, how can this be? I'm on an ambulance ride. Um, not something that I chose or wanted to, to do. Um, we, we got to Children's and uh, they, they rushed us in and because of Carson's condition, because he was throwing up constantly, um, we were put in an isolation unit, which may not have been totally necessary. He's not a, he wasn't communicable in, in terms of his illness, um, but they didn't know that for sure. But it just added fuel to the fire of, of that fear and, and wondering when you're isolated and people are coming in, you know, in gowns and gloved up for any interaction with you. And as a parent, you have to do the same thing. You can't even leave the room um, w- without all the protocols on top of that. Um, Carson hates needles. He hated the IV. Um, But after somewhere near 48 hours of this at home, he he was in such a weakened state, he couldn't even fight against the IV, which is both good and bad. You know, you're like, yes, he didn't freak out at them. And you're like, he's not even able to do that. Um, in past times that we've been through this, uh, the vomiting would keep him from ingesting anything. And, and a little guy like him, um, he had a high metabolism. He's burning the fuel for his body as he's not able to replace it. He, even though he was a tiny kid at five years old, he could lose up to a quarter of his body weight. There were several times where he lost 10 pounds as a 40-pound kid. He, he didn't have that much to give. So it, it, even at children's, um, there's questions about 
what's his fate going to be? You know, how, how can he survive that? On top of that, um, Lisa and I were doing a lot of research trying to figure out what was going on. One of the things that was a possibility was ab abdominal migraines. Um, we both suffer from migraines, and uh, that, was, that was something that was possible. But we didn't know for sure. It's a diagnosis of exclusion. You have to rule out everything else to come to that and say, yes, that's what that is. So there were still so many possibilities on the table, which makes treating what he had that much more difficult. And uh, we'd been doing a lot of research, and I had just gone through the blog site of a woman whose son had similar symptoms and was going through much the same thing, whose son died. And so that's, that's still is hanging over me in the moment. And you have that hope of being in the hospital, but you wonder, will it ever end? And he's, can he survive this? I, I'm sure many of you guys have been in similar situations, um, and I know that there's much more serious illnesses out there that our kids have had to deal with. Um, but it doesn't change the reality of it for you. Can he survive this? You're probably starting to wonder, how does this relate to celebration? Sorry, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. But I'm glad you brought up celebration. We're going to get back to that. My second point about celebration, celebration is rooted in love. Um, but celebration requires a two-way street. Too often, I carry my needs and wants to God without considering his desires. Too often, I lament my circumstances to God without the rec recognition that I'm useful to him in my circumstances, not out of them. Too often, I don't listen in my prayer. I read his word to teach and to tell other people. I don't always listen to allow myself to be changed. I must remember that I'm an empty vessel. I'm supposed to be an empty vessel, ready for the Holy Spirit to fill, not a vessel brimming with myself. And that's critical to God. That's critical for worship. That brings me up to my next point. Celebration is rooted in worship. Psalm 150, the last psalm in the book of Psalms. It's a call to worship, I think very appropriate. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him for his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. And here in the Hebrew, they actually interject with hallelujah. Praise God. Praise him with sounding cymbals, another hallelujah. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything, the third hallelujah, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then again, praise the Lord. We defined love. Let's define worship. What is worship? I have two very similar definitions that I've found uh, that help describe it for me. The first, feelings and expressions of devotion, honor, and service towards someone or something. The second is similar, 
um, with a slightly different twist. High adoration, reverence, trust, love, loyalty, and dependence on a higher power, whether man-made, human, or divine. Clearly, we can worship other things than God. It doesn't have to be a deity. We can worship a lot of different stuff. Man-made things. In conversations with Esther, I kind of put together a list of things that worship is. Worship is an active pursuit. It's participatory. Worship doesn't always just happen up here. Worship is reproductive. When we worship and spend time in worship, it leads to more worship. Worship costs us something. It's part of being an active pursuit. There's an aspect of sacrifice to worship. Worship is an alignment of the heart, mind, body, and soul. It's an engagement with the Holy Spirit. It's a natural outpouring of the belief that those qualities and character and deeds that I talked about before, the the characteristics of God, are greater than what I possess. I recognize that, that true worship is honoring God through my actions. Loving my spouse because it's important to the, to the Lord becomes an act of worship. Being obedient to my parents because it's a command of God becomes an act of, act of worship. Sacrificing for and serving others becomes an act of worship. Here at Northview, when we collect, when we group together, um, we, our, our worship tends to take the form of musical worship. And in that, words and actions matter more than the melody at the time. Esther talked about that last week. I got a couple pictures of right worship that I see in Scripture. The first is from 2 Samuel 6, and you're welcome to turn there with me. Again, I ask you to take a look at it because uh, there's a lot more to the story. Um, David, his great desire is to bring the Ark of the Covenant God's seat among his people, bring it to Jerusalem. And there were some difficulties in doing that. You can read about that. But when that finally happened for them and they're bringing the ark into the city, uh, we jump into the story right here. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Skip down a little bit. David comes back to his family. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his, his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. David was willing to forego the decorum of his position and what other people thought about him because he was more concerned with what God would think about him. The next Example is from Acts 16. And Paul and Silas are in Philippi. And there is a demon-possessed girl 
that is following them around for a couple of days um, and kind of being a pest. She's proclaiming who they are, the servants of the Most High God. Um, but as, as normal human beings, that started to get on their nerves a little bit. And, and Paul actually turns at one point and casts the demon out of her. And in doing so, riled up the people there because she was a source of income as she was a fortune teller, uh, uh, somebody that prophesied the future. And it riled the people up. And we jump into the verses here in uh, Acts 16, chapter, verse 16. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they, did, when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And just picture this for a moment. Put yourself in their place. You've done the right thing by God, proclaiming his name to this people. They drag you into the square before the, the judges and they say, yeah, let's, let's show these, teach these guys a lesson. And they beat you within an inch of your life, drag you into prison, put your feet in the stocks. And I'm sure prisons then were probably not as humane as the prisons we have now. Rather than lamenting what was going on, pleading to God to take them out of there, what are they doing? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Some other miraculous stuff happens after that, but that's the focus of what I wanted to, to share. These examples show the self-sacrificing nature of true worship. David chose to disregard the decorum of his rank and recognize God's. Paul and Silas chose to worship and praise in the middle of pain and their loss of freedom. And in looking at these things, I'd say that, that these examples um, are fantastic pictures of what right worship is, but they also reveal the greatest inhibition to the worship of the Lord, and that's that we often have an object of higher devotion ourselves. Ultimately, the issue of hindered worship is an authority issue. Who's on the throne of your life? Who's on the throne of your worship? Can we lay aside ourselves, our wants, our needs, our circumstances, our desire to please those around us? Can we lay those things aside to recognize God's true awesomeness to his satisfaction? Put another way, do my actions glorify him or do my actions glorify me? And isn't that why we were created, to glorify God? To bring glory to our Father. Bear with me as I jump back into the story of Carson. Uh, I stayed the night, through the night with Carson, and as much as we had help from the hospital staff, uh, you know, as a parent, you're still right there with him, and he's, he's still going through the vomiting. They'd given him some medication to help stop him from throwing up. But we didn't know if it would work. We didn't know if it did work, when it would work. Um, and sleeplessness doesn't help a lot in those situations with your mindset. And as we did most times when he was in this, we prayed a lot. 
And, and I'll admit, there was so many prayers for deliverance. Lisa came that, that next morning, um, once the kids were up, and we made the swap. And I think she was able to find somebody to take the kids again. So I was traveling home with, without much sleep at all um, and just exhausted and, and emotional. And uh, I remember uh, driving up 35th towards our house and stopping at uh, Seattle Hill Road lo- uh, stoplight. And I just had this, uh, all of a sudden, this clear picture uh, in the midst of my prayers of what God was, was asking of me. And it was one simple thing. Worship. It, it, it wasn't audible or anything like that, but, but I knew God was asking me, are you willing to worship me? And my normal answer would be, yes, Lord, Absolutely but there was a qualifier on it. Are you willing to worship me without condition in this circumstance? And I'll tell you, in that moment, it completely broke me because I knew what was going on. I'm really good at managing my image, which is probably why I tend to not want to be up here because it's harder to do it. But... I realized that I had my own conditions to worshiping God. And, and I, in that moment, I knew that, that my love to that point, it had limits. It reminded, what he was asking me, reminded me of, of Peter's reinstatement after he denied God. And he came back and, and Jesus met him on the beach and asked him, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, of course I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me? In that moment, like I said, I I was broken, and I recognized what I needed to do, and and I I sang praise in the middle of it, and it was some of the Swedish Swedish? Is there Swedish worship? The sweetest worship I've ever had, because... It didn't matter the circumstances we were in. God's character was the same, regardless of what was happening with my son, regardless of whether he lived or died. He's worthy of my praise, simply at that, without qualifier. And even just writing through this, I glimpse kind of what Paul and Silas may have been enjoying in that moment. You kind of transcend that moment, and it's just you and God. That's the story. I know some of you are probably like, okay, did Carson get better? Is he okay? For those of you that need to know, yeah, he did recover. Um, Lisa killed him later on, but... <laughs> no. Um, he's He's... 20 now. He's at school uh, in Oklahoma. Um, in spite of our prayers, in spite of my worship, God didn't take that thing away from him. He didn't take that pain away from us. He was hospitalized four times that year. That was the first one. Um, it was difficult for a long, long time, and, and we still pled and prayed to God every single time, but 
also every single time it did not change our ability to worship him and recognize him for who he was for who he is I love the picture of worship that's revealed in Revelation. Esther had this up on the screen before, um, or maybe it's later. Revelation 4, 6 through 11. And I'll jump into it kind of in the middle here. Uh, Before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are the four living creatures, and we'll skip down past their description to kind of the meat of the verse. Day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns, which, by the way, Those crowns are the ones that they were given in heaven by God for their deeds on earth. The only thing that they had to give. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. That picture is fantastic. Recognizing what God did, but not only that, just who he is intrinsically. Skip again to Revelation 5, 513. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and in the sea and all that's in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. We often, um, we've heard this said, we may have said it ourselves, you can't take it with you, meaning you can't take the physical things with us from earth into heaven. I disagree with that. You can take it with you. You can take your worship with you. Um, Just in, in some of my circles, we've talked a lot about the Lord's Prayer in the last year. And I focus on one line where it talks about desiring on earth as it is in heaven. Our worship on earth can be carried with us into heaven. We can worship in communion with heaven now. Um, When I was in children's, uh, I loved to worship with the kids to the Revelation song. It's a simple song. Um, that they could really get into. Um, And it was extra special because I'm watching our children be in unity with the Spirit of Heaven as they sang those words. Even if Anthony Cook would sing, Holy Moly, it didn't matter. We're in unity with Heaven in our worship. That brings us to communion this morning. And I'll invite the the worship team to come on up. Um, You've got the elements near you. Um, Hopefully at home you've got them prepared, but um, now's the time you can get those ready.
Communion is a perfect picture of this unity in worship. Christ established communion to link the now with the future with him. In the early church, they made communion a party. It was a celebration. They shared the joy of reconciling um, with Jesus, with the Father through Jesus. Before we partake in communion, we've gone through a lot of stuff, and, and I don't know how much preparation you've had in coming here today, um, just in your spirit, but I just want to take a minute and give us a chance to, to pray, to reflect, uh, to get right with God if we need to before we take communion. So um, we'll have a little bit of music, but uh, we'll just take 60 seconds and uh, focus on the Lord right now. At the Passover celebration, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, This is my body. Take and eat. Then Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. I'll not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Drink this in memory of me. Communion gives a tremendous hope to us. We hold Jesus' promise that he'll come for us. We'll celebrate together with the Lord and have communion together someday, his people in his presence. And we want to be ready for him. We don't want to be like those who escape through the flames, smelling of smoke. But we want to be sons and daughters that desire, that he desires to reward for our steadfastness toward him. 
We can choose love. We talked about that. We can choose worship. We can choose to listen to him. And because of those things, we can choose joy and express it together. What an amazing thing. These things we talked about, they're the first pieces of our mission at Northview. There's a reason why it says celebrate God first on our mission. We desire so strongly to make that the first thing that people recognize about Northview, about us as people. I'd invite you to stand, kneel, be whatever pose you need to as we worship. Don't worry about the people around you or what somebody may think of you. Get your heart, mind, body, and soul in line to worship the Lord as we do it together.
services where each of us has a candle and just the beauty of the light that that creates in a place like this. But when you take those candles and instead of being spread out lights, when you combine them together, you put two candles together, that flame gets brighter and bigger. And if we did that collectively, everybody touching the lights of their candle, that would make almost like an altar fire towards God a brightness that we couldn't have separate. And I just love that picture of how we come together in worship and joy and celebration and what that must look like to God. Would you pray with me? 
Father, thank you for this word on love and worship. I just pray that you would help draw us closer to you, that you would increase our capacity to love that is so foreign to us in our sinful nature, that you would increase our capacity for worship of you, that you would grow us in that, that way. And Lord, that through your spirit, uh, we would cooperate with that process, whatever that looks like. Well, thank you for being a righteous God, a good God, a forgiving God, and having a steadfast love as an example to us. We praise you this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a fantastic holiday weekend. Yeah.